coming to you live from the Business Radio X studio. It's Franchise Marketing Radio, brought to you by IDS, an award-winning digital marketing agency that delivers integrated marketing solutions for franchisers, franchisees, and franchise development teams. Learn why over 75 brands depend on IDS's team of dedicated marketers and client service professionals to deliver a strong ROI on their marketing investment. Go to IDSFranchiseMarketing.com for a complimentary digital audit and consultation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Franchise Marketing Radio. I'm your host, Rob Ganley, and today we have a special guest joining us. He is the co-founder of Voodoo Franchising Company and the CEO of Voodoo Brewing Company. It's a brand that has quickly become internationally acclaimed, a craft brew brand, and the fastest growing brewery in the franchise industry. Matteo Rashaki, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. I love that name, by the way. You have a, you have a cool name. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's fun to say it. It's fun to introduce you. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So it's great to have you. But anyway, you know, one of the very first questions I love to ask, especially with such a cool sounding brand, is, you know, wh- how did it come to be? What was the sort of the why behind it? And tell us the story of how what led you to this day today. I'll do my best to uh, keep it uh, as brief as possible. But um, basically, the company was founded as a single member LLC in 2005. Started making beer in 2006. It fell just of the economic hardships of the 07, 08 time period and just never was able to recover. My little brother stumbled upon the brewery through a, a mutual business venture that we were doing here in Meadville, Pennsylvania, and found out the brewery was in, in not great financial shape. And my brother and I were looking at starting a brewery together and even had an LLC in, in real estate selected to build a brewery here not too far from Meadville. And he was like, listen, I think we might have an opportunity to to have this brewery thing a lot faster, you know, but this this place needs some work. You should come check it out. So I came in from New York at the time I was living there. I started a business there and I was living with my wife at the time. And we came back to Meadville and met with the owner and put together a, a proposal for uh, for us to kind of do a takeover. You know, the owner kind of rescinded his, his business uh, decision-making rights and took over as the company CEO. And my brother took over as the head brewer and, you know, we both went straight to work. This was uh, the end of 2011. And one of the first things I wanted to do was build out a a direct retail. I felt, you know, the brewery is very small. We're making 10 hectoliters, you know, at a time, didn't have a large opportunity for distribution and really wanted to direct to retail. So uh, with my background and my brother's help and some some friends and family, we built the first tap room out in about six months and we opened in June of 2012. And it was a unique model and it kind of coincided with the brand. So that was kind of how we first uh, started and got involved in kind of our immediate kind of focus and, and direction, you know, from day one. Yeah. Well, interesting though. Interesting because it's like, well, so you had a passion for that kind of a business, but you you kind of went into it, I guess, Looking back, you, you kind of went into it like, like this is a challenge, but we're going to take it. Like the, your very first assignment as CEO is turn around this business that's fledgling. So I don't know if you look back and say maybe that wasn't the best idea, or maybe it was. But, it it uh, certainly it, was. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, you know, I, I looked at the business. You know, I, I broke it down. I looked at its debt obligations. You know, I looked at some of the different things that were going on with it. I looked at you know possible ways to 
to build out a pro forma forecast and, and you know, I, you want to make sure everything's going to be, you know, work right on the balance sheet and just, you know, really dive in financials. And luckily, you know, a lot of the investments that were made into the the brewery were from our local redevelopment and uh, economic progress agencies. So they were very flexible in trying to work with us. And hey, at the end of the day, they just want to get that principal paid. Um, yeah. So we were able to kind of renegotiate some of the terms of the notes and, um, you know, they we wanted to make sure we got those. At the end of the day, those loans are made to incubate and start foster small business and communities. And if you can't yeah. pay that back, you're, you're basically taking away someone else's chance. So yeah. I just felt the personal yeah. obligation of making sure that those notes got paid in. Um, yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it was doable, but it was definitely yeah. tough in the beginning. What a great, I got to point out to you, if anyone listening, it's, it's a great testament to who you are and the character behind what drives you as a franchisor, because uh, you you basically showed that even back then you could take a business model, clean it up, and make it work, and and that's so important. And that's so important to to really being successful in business. But the other part too is that you know you cared about the community, which is another big part of what franchising is about. Is because the same thing. It's a different scenario, but it's the same feeling of loss. If if a franchisee doesn't do as well. Uh, it's the same kind of scenario. You don't want that to happen. And I'm sure that's how you feel. You get into that a little bit. Tell us, tell me a little bit about, so you went from that point in 2012 or so, or 11, and then there was a decision to think about franchising. How did that, I mean, you sound like a pretty savvy guy, the way you came in and turned things around, but did you know about franchising or is this like, oh, wait a minute, this is, this would be a cool way for us to take this to another level. But tell me how that came about. I mean, anybody who's been to a Burger King, you know, at a, as a kid asks like, why are there so many of those? And they're everywhere. It's like, well, you learn about franchising at some point, you know, they exist. You're at least somewhat aware of it. Um, and I, I remember um, we were building out, I want to say it was our sixth location, our sixth corporate store. So we went from one tap room and we opened a new tap room almost every 18 months uh, consistently to the point where we had seven stores. But when we built our sixth location, we very consciously, I remember we kept like a legal pad on like the the, the bar, it wasn't poured yet, it was just like the shell of the bar. And uh, we kept it there and we just wrote down every step of the process. You know, what did we do? How did we do it? We tried in very carefully to make things scalable as we went. So like, I remember vividly going to the Sherman-Williams and, and talking to their like uh, regional director. I said, hey, look, like, I want to pick out colors that are systematically different from, and I want to make color codes. I want to assign voodoo red, voodoo purple, voodoo green. You know, we did this with even like the way we were sourcing kitchen equipment and designing kitchen layouts based on the menu we were going to serve and picking out like, you know, what foot candles we wanted for lighting in the kitchen, where we're putting, you know, what kind of bulbs and lighting and, you know, the design of the, you know, fixtures and every little detail, we just kind of documented it. And we wanted to make sure like, is this something that we could scale? Is this something we could replicate? Because our tap rooms, the experience is, is unique. There, There's a vibe. You walk in there, you know, you're in a voodoo when you're in a voodoo. There's just no mistaking it. And you want to make sure that, that can be, you know, translated time and time again. So right. that's kind of the direction was, okay, we're not quite sure how this will scale but let's let's work on it let's see if this is, is doable and um we just started mentioning the word franchise my uh, my coo at the time jake um good personal friend of mine you know we came up together and our wives are best yeah. friends and you know, he he was the one that actually floated the original ideas like you know this 
this this is franchisable this really could be um but like let's 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 explore it so you know we had to get um a new LLC set up and we put some money in there and we looked at um you know really was this from a legal perspective something that we could do um mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of things that we have to navigate uh particularly because we're a brewery and we're involved in in, in the alcohol business you know there's there are some things we had to make sure we could work um yeah. work. so yeah no doubt no doubt it's franchisable for sure I'd say, like, I, I have a guy that I work with that says if it's legal, ethical, and it makes money, you, it's franchisable. Uh, the, a lot of people don't realize all the various, I think that I've read somewhere about four, almost 400 industries are represented in, a, in the franchise method. And it's really a growth decision. It's about how you decide to take your brand and, and grow it and, and how you're going to source that, that funding. And I, it's the American dream. It's the idea that we can ha- help each other, find other people. That have enough maybe from one location, but not necessarily enough to build a network or a national brand. Uh, but this this looks like it's well on its way. Um, and we'll talk about your growth in a minute, but because um, I know there's been some explosive growth. But I like to talk about the uh, sort of reverse engineering. Um, we start with the experience, and you just alluded to it a little bit of the actual people that spend time. Um, starting from that point, tell me a little bit about Voodoo and uh, what makes it different. What, what you know, both the experience and the and the and the inventory or the quality of the product, things like that. Tell me the differentiator of that experience for the guests or the patrons. For sure. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I always like to start with just kind of like the the company culture. Um, you know, we are truly a, a company of peers. You know, yes, we have, you know, titles and roles and responsibilities, but, you know, there's no big money guy that started this brewery from the beginning. There's no major investment group or capital firm. Like it's literally guys that are second generation, you know, just blue collar guys and gals that got together and and work really hard. And I think, you know, we're passionate and we have this relentless pursuit of quality um we we don't waver in in that at all um we made sure that all of our partners whether it's for beer or food or cocktails mixology you name it it had to be the quality first and scalable second and um you know just for example you know our our brewers they go every year they fly out for selection you know they hand pick the hops from the farms in washington and the surrounding area where we're getting uh for for making our our main beers and specifically you know some of our ipas um you know we're selecting all of our new zealand hops by hand every year um you know we're going out and, and doing uh harvest we're doing selections for a lot of other raw materials um and, and that's a big difference a lot of breweries don't have that opportunity we're very blessed to to be able to do that uh definitely has an impact on the product um mm. and then just the 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 whole collaboration of the the artisanal side of of brewing i mean it, you have to have obviously great liquid you have to have killer marketing you have to have great graphics you have to have the whole package um mm. and it came together for us very organically throughout the process as we've grown and scaled to try to pull all those components together and make them work yeah yeah i mean that's um so tell me a little bit about that process it sounds like um and i know i've I've recently talked to some coffee coffee models and about how they do things and um 
But how important is it to 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 know to to work with those folks in Washington and New Zealand and just know who they are, what they're about? Like kind of knowing where it comes from. It's not sort of this commoditized sort of view, but more of a you know we really know these folks. We care about the quality. You know, there's, there's a connectiveness, and I think nowadays, do you think that's important to, for the consumer to know that's what you're about? Or tell me a little bit more about how you look at that. Because it sounds like you know. You know the people pretty well when you do business yeah, with. You 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 have to. And it, and it's there's so many pieces of it. So again, like although we're buying from a farm, we're picking the farm the hops come from. You know, they go through a a company that essentially acquires them, processes them, pelletizes them, packages them, purges them with nitrogen, you know, stores them, and you buy them and you're contracted for X amount of pounds per hop strain per year right um so you're managing the relationships in multiple tiers of of one level and that's just one ingredient you know you could do that with every piece of what we do from the yeast to the malt to everything yeah Um, but you know it's it's very important i can tell a very brief story of how important it is i remember one year selection and we got this lot where I think we're, we're rubbing Amarillo and we're rubbing Amarillo and we're rubbing Amarillo and we get these four lots and like this one, I'm just like, I can't tell what's off about this, but I'm getting like barbecue. It just smells like barbecue. I don't know why it's like, 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 like mes- mesquite barbecue sauce. So yeah. like we're doing the thing, we make our selections. Obviously we don't pick that lot cause we don't, it's not Amarillo, something else. And we're, we're talking to them offline afterward and we're like, what's up with this lot number three of Amarillo? Like, it's just, what's going on with it? And they're like, wow, it's funny you guys mentioned that, um, you know, cause that was the only lot that was harvested after the wildfires. So like wow. you've got some brewery out there that's going to get stuck with that lot of Amarillo um, unfortunately, because they don't get to select and they, the farmer had the hops and that's the hop. So it has a massive impact on right. on your products if you aren't on top of it. And it's, yeah. I guess, that's just yeah. one component. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good stuff. So, so the, okay, going back to the quality. So it sounds like your franchisees in many of your locations, are. it's a big part of probably the business model to think about the the, the products. And that and it sounds like it always evolves. So how different is it everywhere? Or is there sort of a lineup uh, approach that you use and, and, and variations like maybe some local variation, but then there's also some other things you always have. How do you approach having a full menu of beer? I know today there's just so many, like it seems like you could have like many, many, but how do you approach that and what makes it unique? And you know, back to still focused on the unique for sure. Of your, for sure. Yeah. So um, I think the first thing I would say is because we're marketing this opportunity as a anti-franchise franchise. So it's for people who don't want a franchise, but hey, this is something I really could see myself doing. And so, well, this might be for you then. So um, the way we program this out is we try to do between 20 and 24 taps at the Voodoo locations. And we're going to be filling most of those most of the time. And it's a it's a combination of our core lineup, you know, which we have nine core brands right there. Then you're going to have seasonal, spontaneous voodoo releases that'll be coming out. Then you're also going to be doing. We've got two seltzers that we make, um, and then you're going to do some local like beers. So we always want to encourage you to bring in the local element because we're not just trying to pick up a and transplant. A voodoo into a community and just hope it works like no we actually want to become 
part of the fabric of the community. And I, I say this all the time. I mean, our community engagement plan and the operations manual is more robust than any section of the operations manual. And that's because we understand the important the craft beer without community is just beer. And yeah. we're not just a brewery. Um, so that is part of it. Then you're, so you're going to bring in, you know, some really good local, um, guest taps. We usually bring in like a mead or a wine or a cider on tap. Um, so you've got those tap lines full. And then you couple that with, you know, our incredible mixology program of barrel aged cocktails. Um, and we've got, you know, wines that are locally sourced. Um, and you put all that together with a really, really good food menu. Um, we have Cora elements you're going to find everywhere. You're going to get a Fudu burger at any Voodoo location. That's just the Fudu yeah. burger staple. Um, and you're going to see like our Bavarian beer cheese and, 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 uh, pretzels and some things that are just the mainstays for, you know, what is intrinsically on the Voodoo menu. However, yeah. every single Voodoo menu is going to have a local twist. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, we've got elements that we're bringing in from the locations proximity you know that that's going to be popular or that you know the consumer wants and we're also rotating that seasonally as well so it's a really cool way to you know take something and kind of customize it for success yeah so you have a team in place that really helps folks focus on the creativity of it the relationship of it um you know you want to bring in like if you're from from the Philly area, you know, you, you might have a staple cheesesteak type of thing you do. Um, but you you would have that sort of a creativity and but your team really can just help the blocking and tackling part. Like it's 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 obviously time consuming and and in business there's a lot of decisions to make. So sometimes that's the part, that's the enemy. So it sounds like there could be a lot of that, but you kind of guide your franchisees so they can bring their creativity, their, their knowledge of the local market, their desire to connect and you guys make it happen. <laughs> it sounds like to me, which, which is a hard thing to do, which is why, you know, you're the anti-franchise franchise, but it's not always easy to say, how do we make everything localized? Right. I mean, that, that, that there's a actual pattern to that, but the, you know, so in a way you're still a franchise, but you, you, you could, it could be the hole in the wall that no one, no one thought that, hey, there's only one of these in the whole world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a good balance of, look, here are the things that we definitely do. Here's the list of things we definitely don't do. Then there's everything in between. And like, bring us your ideas. There's an approval process. You know, we're not just going to throw any idea on a menu and, and scale it. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, too, I mean, we have, um, you know, monthly recurring calls with all of our store owners and our uh, our ops team and development team. And we're we're talking about, you know, what ideas we have as a group. And I mean, the high tide rises all ships. And, you know, we know we have a concept that works, um, but it's it's a model. It's not it's not the law. Um, yeah. we've definitely like working with our, uh, owners and yeah. improving, you know, the brand as a whole. Yeah. It's usually the, the part you're referring to is what makes it work that much better, but it's, it's the foundational blocking and tackling that, that folks don't have to think about that makes it doable and the success rate so high, but tell me a little bit about the, the operations manual and we, we talk about the fact that there is one first of all like in franchising you've got not a it, that's sort of the, the the center point is the operations manual and of course there's training around it there's support around it it's ongoing it's always being innovated and, and evolved 
But you talked about the community engagement part of that. And you said, you know, this that part, man, we, we spare no expense. Because you saw as an owner um, and a successful one at that, that, you know, community is what made it matter. And what made people want to keep coming and and, and drinking and eating and, and inviting their friends and hanging out and having excuses to hang out. Um, so it's about that community. And this is about marketing, which is why it's always interesting to me. Tell me a little bit about the process of launch and then just ongoing. And there's this idea of community engagement in that. And I know there's a lot of sort of this idea of screens and digital, and we're all obviously connected. So there needs to be that side of it that you're totally tuned into. Uh, tell me how you work, because clearly the community part I know is the exciting part and the part that really makes the marketing easy because if everybody's talking about it, then it happens naturally. But you still have to play the digital side, right? You have to think about all those things. How does that work for you? Tell me a little bit about that launch through ongoing process and the marketing side of things. Well, it starts long before the launch. It actually starts, you know, during the approval process. Um, mm -hmm. One of the main questions we ask um, our our owners before they become owners, you know, and, and we look for the answer to this is, okay, cool. You know, the, what do you do for a living? You know, family life, you know, things like that. Um, you know, but, you know, what, what boards do you sit on? You know, what charities are you involved in? Um, you know, what you know, what, what are you doing in your communities? I mean, are you involved in any development projects or, you know, those are really important questions because we want to see, you know, who's already involved, immersed in their community to on, on a deeper level. And those people tend to be really good fits for us in the beginning. If they're already doing it, it's part of, of their nature. Um, you know, that's, that's where it starts for us. And I also want to make sure too, like we take a completely different approach to how we handle community outreach and community development and marketing. They're separate and they couldn't be more distinctively different. And if you're doing outreach and community engagement as marketing, you're already fucking up. Like that's just not how you do it. Um, the, the element of outreach and, and, you know, community engagement needs to be selfless. It really needs to be. Um, and your, your marketing is obviously a little bit more on the selfish side. Um, yeah. so what that looks like for us, I mean, every single pub is different. Um, we have utilization of, you know, all of the social media platforms to you know, kind of engage consumers from a very beginning element. You know, we have real estate, we have a construction timeline. We'll throw little nuggets out there. We'll utilize it as a tool to start kind of building up a base. Um, we do that from the very beginning. Um, we do a lot of engagement with, you know, the, the traditional medium, you know, everything from, you know, your general news outlets and things like that, as we're scaling and preparing for a grand opening, um, the way we handle our openings are a little different too. We always do, um, a friends and family night, uh, which mm -hmm. kind of gets everybody's feet wet. Um, we'll invite, you know, some of the, the GC or the contractors or their families and just kind of have a night where we can kind of just start the wheels and you know see what needs greased and what needs some work and then we'll usually do another night where it's kind of like we'll invite maybe the wholesaler or we'll invite some of our vendors or we'll invite you know generally some of the the marketing uh folks or you know, the news stations or different media outlets they'll come another night and then we kind of ramp up for a grand opening and it kind of we've gotten to the point now we're doing almost three to four nights before we do a grand opening um and it also gives some kind of early access, um, which people seem to really enjoy. 
Um, yeah. And then, you know, beyond that, I mean, huge use of technology. I mean, right now, the, the partnership list is so long, everything from pop menu to Patronics for national gift card programming to consumer loyalty programs to we even have a um, in-store audio messaging that goes through uh, our partnership for uh, our we have a. Um, custom curated radio stations that play throughout our locations. And uh, we can even do the messaging to the consumer through our own advertising. Um, so there's just a lot of use of really cool new features and things that um, that are seeming to be effective. Yeah. What do you think of when you hear about, you know, AI, all the buzz around AI and how that affects sort of a model like yours, how that might maybe play in? And not that you're not already using AI underneath it's it's a programming software really uh, algorithms and things but um, in terms of the idea that you can use sort of AI as a representative of your brand I think that's a real thing oh it's obviously. certainly a real thing yeah, yeah. I mean, so tell me what you think about that or I, where, I, where's your head with it I know it's early but it's got a time and a place without a doubt I mean that uh, is that a chat GPT app uh -huh. I mean, it's, it's wild. Like you can put in just a couple things that you want to put together in a post and bam, you know, yeah. call to action. It's, it, you know, witty, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's, it's incredible. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's a resource that, that needs to be utilized and has a time and a place for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can't just rely on that because it's yeah. at some point you're going to lose a bit of like the culture and the, the vibe and the voice that, that you have that's like specific yeah. to yeah. your store or to your community or to the brand as a whole. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a uh, good in a pinch when you need to make a post and you want something, you, you want to yeah. say something about something and here you go. Yeah. So you guys are community. Yeah. So for you, you have to communicate a lot and obviously there's a lot of uh, uh, content marketing that you can do through social media or other types but this is where, in at least in your view, you're using it now to, to help with some of that. And um, yeah, no, it's an ongoing uh, uh, question, like how and where does that interact with us as humanity? And that'll affect every business model. But uh, interesting. And yeah, no, no doubt you're using all the other tech required to give people. And kind of goes back to what I said earlier. It's just about the experience you're trying to give. And ultimately, you want to reward people. So things like an easy reward program, right? That just knows knows that you're you're there a lot. I love those. Just I, I bought 19 times in the last you know 30 days because you just remember that for me and and maybe just give me something along the way. That to me is always a good thing about those types of things. But uh, so I'd like to make sure we touch on before we before we do go. A little bit about the opportunity itself. So it sounds like it's a great community business, uh, great great vibe, great ambiance. I, in fact, I think based on what we just talked about, the world is in need of that sort of engagement, places we can go. Um, I always say for me, like, you know, it, might, it could even just be a, a daytime burger joint that you like going to. But I think that that ambiance still matters too. But yet alone something like what you guys do, it's, it's really is a, a social family, hang out, spend time with people you care about kind of scenario. And I think that's more important. I think that's going to be more important in the future uh, that, that, that they businesses are good at that, that they can extend that to uh, people like myself and create that ambiance and that environment for me 
to show up and feel like, you know, this is kind of like comforting or it's, it's like home or it's, I just, I, I like it. So I think that is going to be important for all of us uh, in the, in these franchise models. Uh, but in terms of getting started with something like this, you kind of alluded to a little bit of who you look for. Um, what does it look like to get going? I mean, I, if I were to look at this, you might think, man, I don't know if I could ever do something like that. Like it's, it's scary to a lot of folks, even the ones that financially are very viable. How does that work? What would someone need to get started approximately, just roughly? And then, you know, what kind of opportunity is this for the future for, for folks? I know it's, I always talk to folks about the, the amazing, you know, the amazing benefit of owning something as well as generating profit every year. Um, how you're putting those together is a little different than a job, not to mention it's you, it's your heart. You know, you can kind of represent it your way a little bit. You, you have the franchise brand behind you. So it's a little bit of a hybrid there, but tell me a little bit about how that works. What is that sort of, what, what do you need to have in terms of financial hacking? And then what could you expect um, in terms of what this could do for your future financially? Sure. Sure. Um, so, I mean, it's a moving target right now on everything from real estate to construction. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it, the, the ebbs and flows of that right now in this, this climate, um, it's, it, it's a, it's a moving target. Um, yeah. so, you know, we have a really wide range, um, and it really will depend on, you know, what size footprint you're looking for and what area, um, you know, and what, what type of construction, you know, is going to, uh, be involved. Um, so, you know, from a capital standpoint, um, I want to say we're looking for people that have around four to, to 800,000 in capital. Um, and then we have a lot of different things we can do with that. Um, that's right. generally like where we're looking to start. And uh, the range seems really excessive, but really it, it, it's, we've done pubs on, on every end of that, depending on where it is and how big it is and what we were right. doing for the build out. Um, right. you know, but beyond that, I mean, really at the end of the day, we are, you know, very, very involved in the selection process and um, mm -hmm. our development team, if they make it through the vetting process, um, they come out and they meet myself and, or my team. Um, we do an approval day at a minimum on a monthly, you know, cadence and we get a chance to, to meet, you know, the prospects and we'll ask them those questions about, you know, how to involve you in your community and, you know, what you've been up to the last few years and why this voodoo thing. And, you know, we really get to know everybody before we, we decide to go uh, forward. And we definitely, uh, unfortunately probably say no more than we say yes. Um, yeah. but we want to make sure that we're bringing in the right people. Cause this is a, this is a 10 plus year marriage, uh, in business partnership. And we want to make sure that we're going to business with the right team. Cause everybody you bring in, is also now going to be in some way partners with the rest of the group, you know, and that starts to matter when you're at the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 stores, um, right, you know, right. it really starts to matter. So, and in terms of like, so it sounds to me like it really comes down to getting to know the franchisee, what kind of ideas they have, which is this whole idea is just in and of itself is like, it's a, it, like you would not have that luxury in 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 a normal scenario, if you're doing it on your own, but mm -hmm. you you guys can look at it and say, well, here here's the upside of going with a larger footprint. Here are the things we can do to monetize that. Here's why you might want to do that. But there there are drivers right behind you know making the bigger investment or the lesser investment. It could, of course could be where in town it is and what building it's in and different things like that. 
But oh, you yeah, guys have these tricks. Yeah, we, we, we work with our team to do a very in-depth data collection on every uh, real estate opportunity before we engage and we go from LOI to lease. And we're very involved in um, you know, trying to ensure we're making good decisions. Um, you know, in a post-COVID environment, uh, landlords are being very uh, overly protective with their spaces when it comes to what they're looking to get out of it for rents or securities or in just a, in a tenant in and of itself. Um, so, you know, to be involved in that process, you know, with them alongside them to give good tools and good data on, you know, a specific area, you, you know, there might not be support. Uh, for for a, a ten thousand square foot store, um, you know you might need to be in the five thousand square foot store to maintain profitability. Um, you know, yeah. there's it's just that's all going to to matter for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and there's a lot of detail in that. That's it's what you said earlier in the conversation. I could tell you knew a little bit about business when you started with the whole original the original brewery, um, but but you do. There's a lot of little details to kind of evaluate. You know what would make the most sense, you know? And so like when you look at a business like this, do many of your franchisees have a longer term plan to have multiple locations? And how does that, do some of them do that? And and how, I mean, how does that look in terms of scaling your business, sure, your, sure. your desire to grow more? Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, we're still bringing in um, new owners. Um, we are probably looking to start throttling back on franchise development. Um, not to say we're going to put up a sign saying like sold out, but we're yeah. definitely going to invest a lot more of our time and resources and financials into uh, pub profitability, um, do some store level, you know, data collection, um, you know, work on making sure their owners are profitable and happy and, you know, they have the support that they need. Uh, so we're probably going to be working with that because a lot of these single stores are evolving into multi stores. We also have people right out the gate that are, are, are taking three packs. Um, that's what I was, yeah. I was a, thinking a lot of people have that view. Yeah. yeah. I'd say, I'd say about a third of our owners are, are multi store, multi unit owners. Um, gotcha. So yeah, we're making sure that we just have the infrastructure and the support to ensure you know everybody is successful. What what are the global drivers? I, I didn't we didn't zero in as much, but just on this whole industry, it's 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 definitely evolved over the last twenty years. Um, how do you see it, just in terms of uh, the future? Like as a CEO of this brand and thinking about what I and to me things probably I think Jeff Bezos has coined is they they asked him what what is going to change as a visionary right because he's a tech guy and, and he's like well we focus on things that don't change like the customers will still want their packages fast you know so it might be a different way we get it to them fast but um but we we try to focus on how would we give the 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 customer what they want and I guess that's sort of but if you look at the view of the future. Uh, is there something you see in the, in the, in the craft brewing industry or anything like that you see as being unique or, or, or just blocking and tackling the way you're doing it now? Um, I just think brewery awareness is going to become a big thing. Um, especially if you're looking beyond like being a regional brewery, um, you know, making sure, you know, that you can take your brand and, and put it someplace and have people recognize it and know it. Um, that's going to be a, a big piece of growth. Um, being that it's an alcohol product and it needs to be go through the three tier system, I think, you know, relationships with wholesalers becomes extremely important. Um, you know, I've actually heard, uh, this is like, we call ABP season, annual brewery planning season. And we're going through and we're doing, um, ABPs of all of our wholesalers. And, you know, for the first time in my career, I'm hearing 
uh, a lot of stories about just a lot of beer in the market, a lot of beer that's being dumped, that's not being sold. Um, so you're seeing for the first time, you know, that the there is surplus supply and, and, and not as much demand. Um, so just making sure that you're you're balancing that and, and you understand, you know, what the consumer wants, make sure you're putting the right products in the right PODs. Um and and you know just keeping an eye on everything and and just keep your finger on the pulse so i think right now it's just it's an interesting time um you know in in uh in the craft beer you know industry as a whole um and it's going to continue to get more interesting um but you know we're very excited about where we are positioned and you know kind of building um grassroots community-based you know, centers, you know, where our products can be found and enjoyed and, um, and trying to make sure that, you know, it's, it's accessible. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think it, 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 again, it goes back to, I'll hang out in one of your places. Obviously, if you've got some great products, I like that's important, but I think it's the whole package, right? It's the environment. And, um, clearly there's a lot of products to bring to bear when it comes to this industry, but those will keep evolving. But, I think it's the, the the whole the whole package that'll that'll uh, win out in the end. But that's been great. So any final any final thoughts uh, for anyone that might be thinking of getting involved either in the 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 space you're in uh, or just starting a business uh, if you wanted to frame it that way. And make sure you when you're finished you share the best way to get a hold of you guys um, the way you like to engage. And I know you said you you said look and I I I find this admirable too. In that you said, look, we're growing very rapidly. Uh, we'll probably take a pause, or not a pause, but just slow. You know, you're controlling your growth, and, and that's normal, right? Uh, because of, of the of the growth that you're at now. Um, but even with that, please share the best way that folks, if they're interested, uh, could reach out. But any tips before you do that uh, on anyone that's kind of wondering, should I do something like this? They're maybe in a corporate job today and uh, wondering. Sure. I mean, um, I guess the first thing I would say is, you know, especially with this opportunity, um, being that we're so, you know, we're so confident in the model is, you know, there's really no experience necessary in in this scenario. Uh, we've actually found some of our best operators had no experience in the bar, restaurant, uh, retail, or or craft beer sector. Um, so that's kind of one thing that generally tends to deter people. Um, you know, businesses in general, um, I've always said, you know, if you're gonna do something, you need to do it with you know absolute intent and know what you're doing before you do it and you know what your outcomes and your goals are going to be. You know, establish those before you start making decisions or you start going down a path um, and maybe it's too late to turn around. Um, you know, as a whole, uh, anyone who's interested in learning more, uh, voodoobrewery.com is without a doubt the best resource. Uh, information about our beers, our brand, um, uh, more information about who we are and what we do is uh, able to be found there. Uh, and then in the menu bar, if you're interested in pursuing um, a possible franchise opportunity, there is a button there for own your own and you just click that um, and it'll get you started on the process. It's very simple. Yeah, very cool, man. Very cool. I think you guys got one out here in Colorado Springs. I, I swear on that. I thought I saw <laughs> it when I pulled you guys up. Yep. So I'll have to. I'll have to go look for it. But mm -hmm. uh, all good stuff. Uh, and they they like their beer out here, so I can. I am su not surprised at all that uh, that you guys are here. Uh, but it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you sharing your your journey, your insights, uh, Mateo. I hope to have you back again uh, in the near future. 
I would welcome it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Got it. Bye for now. Thank you.